Our call to worship this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Our opening hymn of worship this morning, there's a spirit in the air telling Christians everywhere, praise the love that Christ revealed, living, working in our world. And if you are able, you are invited to stand as we sing. We're going to come to God in prayer, and as is practice here, after I have led us in a prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in our own most familiar form, our, our natural language and version. Just for change, rather than me kicking off, I'm going to play in the Lord's Prayer in Farsi. Um, it's good to have some different languages, so we might actually do some of our own recordings in other languages, but I will play the Lord's Prayer in, in Farsi, and we will then speak it in our own languages as that is playing. So shall we pray together? God, our shelter, our refuge, our home. As we gather together, most having come from our own homes, but some perhaps from temporary dwellings, chosen or unchosen, it's good to remind ourselves that in you is our ultimate safety and security. We thank you for this place in which we can meet freely. We thank you for the taken for grantedness that it's safe and dry and warm and clean that the chairs are set out, that the electricity supply is connected and the toilets are functional. Thank you for the staff of this hotel, working behind the scenes, unobserved 
to make it possible. We thank you for this community in which we find welcome. We thank you that we will not be turned away because of who or what we are or are not. That there is room here for difference and disagreement. That diversity is celebrated and challenge anticipated. Thank you for every person who makes our church what it is. Our spiritual home or a place that we can visit always without fear. We are sorry, God, that we don't always recognise how precious a gift this is. That sometimes we criticise rather than encourage or pursue our own interests rather than the good of all. Help us to delight in the rough and tumble messiness of our life together. To find the confidence to be honest and open, listening carefully to each other, learning and growing from each other, as together we discover more of what it means for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, working for the fulfilment of your sovereignty here as in heaven. And so, following Jesus' example, we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Namedo Mohadaspa, and forgive us against us. Nameto and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 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 Sira Kilmulkva Kodrat Vajalal Taavad Hasanetost.
out from behind this rather oppressive lectern. So today we're thinking about homelessness and about home. And it seems a good idea to start off by sharing together some ideas about what we think home is. So if I say the word home, what words or phrases come into your minds? Anybody want to share? Yep, Carl. The place where you live. Okay, thank you. That's a great start. What else? Family. Family. Good. Yep. So people as well as place. What else? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Yep. So sort of a safe place to be. Shelter. Shelter. Yep. Keeps you protected from the rain and the snow and the sun and the wind. Other words? Familiarity. Familiarity. Yep. That's a good one. Laughter. Laughter. Say that again. Being together as a family, yes. Yep. Sorry? Meals. Meals, oh, absolutely. Who likes a good family meal at home? Well, I, I like inviting people round. Because um, I, I can't really sit down for a meal with the cats, can I? Anything else that home means? Yeah, sorry, Aidan. Comfort, that's a good one. Jen, did you have one? Oh, it was that one, okay, because I couldn't quite see around the corner. So all sorts of words about what home is. So to be homeless would be not to have some or all of those things or not to have them in a way that we would like. So not to have shelter, not to have safety, not to have comfort or family or food or familiarity or a sense of permanence. And that's quite a lot, isn't it? If we say the word homeless, we very often just think of somebody who doesn't have a permanent residence. But actually there's a lot more to home than that. So a person who becomes homeless is actually losing a lot more than just a place, a roof over their heads and and some food to eat. So we're going to sing a silly song, because I quite like to use this silly song now and again, to thank God for our homes. Um, It looks like we don't have a Sunday school leader today. So after this song, there's a choice. Um, If you are old enough and you fancy it, you're very welcome to stay in and share with the adults in the sermony bit, which will include some stories and videos, so it's not just me waffling for 20 minutes. Or there are a couple of adults who are very happy to go through with you and you can draw or write or explore some ideas around home or homelessness together. You don't have to decide until we get to that point. But we're going to sing the song, but I need some input from you as to what we're going to sing. So the first verse is, thank you God for all our homes. And then I think I would like three more things that we would like to say thank you to God for about homes. So thank you, God, for... Call something out, and I'm going to write it down. I'm going to borrow Anne's pen, because I didn't bring one. So if you would like to call out what you would like us to do. So thank you, God, for... Family. Family. That will work, yep. Thank you. Uh, Another one? Security. Security. That's a good one. Security. I'm sure we can make it fit. And one more. Comfort. Comfort. Uh, okay. Massive comfort uh, to get that one to fit nicely. 
Okay, so we'll do the first verse and the chorus. Then we'll do the other three verses, and I'll shout out what they are as we get to them, and then we'll do the chorus once at the end. Otherwise, we're going to be here until next week. So, thanks, Paul. first reading today um, is written in Mark, for Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The second reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world 
to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead.
dirt in her hair and her clothes in rags. She's no time for talking. She just keeps right on walking, carrying her home into carrier bags. So how can you tell me you're lonely and say for you that the sun don't shine? Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. Show you something to make you change your mind. In the all-night cafe at a quarter past eleven, same old man sitting there on his own. Looking at the world over the rim of his teacup, each tea lasts an hour, and he wanders home alone. So how can you tell me that you're alone? And it's safe for you that the sun don't shine. Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. Have you seen the old man outside the seaman's mission? Memory fading with. Metal ribbons that he wears, and in our winter city the rain cries a little pity for one more forgotten hero in a world that doesn't care. So how can you tell me you're lonely? And just say for you that the sun don't shine. Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. Were you ever tempted to call the streets of London the streets of Paris, Ralph? Well, that's, it was going to be that. I, I had it in my mind that that would have a, a lovely ring to it. And then I started to think, something reminded me there was a song called The Poor People of Paris, or a tune called The Poor People of Paris. And I thought, well, if. You know, this situation is not just confined to this city, it's everywhere. And London, which I know even better, has, you know, just the same characters um, different in a different circumstance, different location. So I just started reworking it. But I have, hand on heart, I don't think it would have been written had I not been here. And certainly the tune was here. I remember I mentioned earlier about you know, all the musicians around, uh, was a guitar player that called Gary Peterson and said to me, that's such a pretty tune, man, you should write some words to it, you know. And that's, so it started off about Paris and metamorphosed into London, you know. For many people of my generation, anyway, this is one of the iconic songs 
not quite a protest song of the 60s and not the sophistication of the 80s by the time in which everything had a video. It's a song that was sung by youth organisations around campfires. We certainly sang it in the school choir and it even found its way into churches on occasion. So why was that? Well, I think that extract from the interview with, with Ralph McTell expresses the answer that we all know automatically. It was written in Paris. It speaks of London, but it could be any city, any town in any country. And it's challenging. It forces us to look beyond ourselves at the people we choose to ignore, perhaps because they frighten us, perhaps because we know that actually so very easily they could be us. How can you tell me you're lonely, the song says, though perhaps you are. Um, Let me show you something to give you a bit of perspective. I think that's what that song does. It gives perspective. It makes us think. The images in the song and in the video, the rough sleeper, the bag lady, the ex-soldier, are powerful, but they are also stereotypes of homeless people. If we're not careful, they just feed our presuppositions about homeless people, that perhaps most of them are addicts or criminals, or even they've chosen such a lifestyle. The truth is very, very different. And as is said so often, almost all of us is only ever two paychecks away from homelessness. Actually, eight years ago, I was two paychecks away from homelessness. The church I was serving had run out of money to pay me. They had given me notice. If I hadn't come to Hillhead in October 2009, I would have been homeless in 2009, November, and they would have closed because they would have run out of money. So it is a story that has some, a fact that has some resonance for me. On your chairs, when you came in, you will have found a handout, which um, you're invited to take away with you later. It talks about how homelessness is defined. And whilst sleeping on the streets is the most obvious example, homeless people include what we sometimes call sofa surfers, people who are living in bed and breakfast accommodation, such as Shainu, just along the road from here, people living in hostels, People living in unsuitable homes that adversely affect their health, perhaps because it's cold or damp or it's infested with rodents or insects. Back in 1968, when I was five, not quite six, the cottage in the small village where we lived was sold over our heads and my family moved into what nowadays will be referred to as unsuitable accommodation. When it rained, the water came through the walls. It was cold and damp and potentially unhealthy. My dad, being the kind of person he was, who was good on stubbornness, so maybe that's where I get it from, refused to pay the rent. And as a result, we were at risk of eviction. And I remember him telling us how he had hitchhiked all the way to London It's only 70 miles from Northampton, so not horrendous, but still a big thing to do. And he'd gone there to lobby our MP about the situation. 
within a few moves, months, we were moved to another house. It was very shabby, but it was dry, and it was in a street where they put the problem families. Actually, it was a good house. Everything, in the end, worked out fine. But when I look back, I'm reminded just how close my family came to being homeless, not once, but twice within four years. It really can happen to anyone. So why do people become homeless? You're not going to be able to read that. I appreciate that. Um, But it is on the sheets that you can take away and look at. About half of the time, the reasons people become homeless are completely beyond their control. Fires, houses sold over their heads, things like that. Some years ago, one of my brothers became temporarily homeless because his rented flat was sold at short notice. So he went and lived with my mum. He would still technically have been homeless at that point. And just a few weeks ago, my little sister was given notice by her landlord who wanted to move back into the house that she was renting. She found somewhere else, and then 24 hours before she was due to move, that was gazumped. Who knew you could gazump on rentals, but you can. And she had just 24 hours to find somewhere to live. Thankfully, she managed it. You don't argue with my sister, so I'm sure she was quite firm in getting some accommodation. But what I think what's really important is we realise addiction and criminality are very low on the list of causes of homelessness. Whilst mental health concerns and lack of family and friends support is high up. Loneliness, isolation and illness. These are hidden causes of homelessness, often unspoken, often unrecognised. People can just slip through the net and end up in dingy rooms, in hostels or hotels, speaking to no one from one day to the next, and caught in a spiral of depression. You won't need a degree in maths to work out that if you added up all the percentages in those ta- that table, you'd come to way more than 100%. And the reason for that is reasons for homelessness are very often complicated. There are often multiple factors at work into why somebody come, becomes homeless. Perhaps they are ill, perhaps they are afraid, perhaps they are at risk of violence or worse. So it's never quite straightforward. You can't necessarily pinpoint why somebody becomes homeless. So let's just move on to the Bible stories that we've (coughs) heard this morning. The story of the widow's mite is probably one of the most familiar to most of us. We don't think about it. It's just there. It's a story that we may love. A story we enjoy as part of the Holy Week drama. A story that preachers sometimes use to challenge us to give more generously to the church funds. But like all kinds of scripture, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, there is more to discover. No one noticed the widow. There was nothing to draw your attention to her. She was just part of the crowd in the temple. She was, we may reasonably deduce, very devout, coming to give what she could, even though it would leave her penniless. 
unable to buy food to eat or oil for her lamp. And it seems that she had no family, no one who would take her in, nobody who would care for her. We don't know that for certain, but that's what it seems to suggest. No family, no money, but we don't know anything else about her. Whenever you see a picture to illustrate this story, it is of an old woman, stooped, tired, weary. So did she, by giving away this money, make herself homeless or at risk of homelessness? And was she old? And apart from Jesus, would anybody else even have noticed her or thought to ask? But perhaps she looked like this. Perhaps she was young and beautiful. The Scottish widow's advertisements challenge the stereotype of what a widow looks like, as well as trying to encourage young people to pay out money for insurance. But it challenges the way we read that story, the way we see it. Was she perhaps a young widow with no family, rather than an old widow? Maybe as we hear the story of the widow, vulnerable, poor, at risk of homelessness, perhaps we should ask ourselves, would we notice her? Would we notice a young woman and realise that she was vulnerable as a widow? Would we notice it in an older woman? The letter of James, which as you know is one of my favourites, challenges the attitudes that favour those who seem to be wealthy and successful and treat with disdain those who are self-evidently not. Whilst not explicitly referring to homeless people, it's quite a reasonable link to make, especially if we stick with the stereotypes. If a rough sleeper walked in here, a bit smelly, a bit the worse for drink, perhaps cursing, you should treat them just the same as you would if Nicola Sturgeon or Queen Elizabeth II walked in. Beautifully turned out, hair done, makeup done, smiling, shaking hands. It's that kind of extreme example that is used in this text. And that's okay, except that it risks polarising our attention so that we focus on the extremes and miss everything in between. The people like the widow, who nobody notices. People who are clean and tidy, polite and quiet, who don't cause us any hassle, who never draw attention to themselves, who never share their stories, who have no potential to make us feel good about ourselves because we've done something really good to help them. Such people will include sofa-surfing young professionals unable to afford rent. Uh, When I was looking online, I actually saw um, somebody in London had a flat that was something like five foot wide by eight foot long. Not much more than that anyway, six foot wide maybe. 
and that was about £400 a week to rent this tiny flat that had been made out of a cupboard. I also saw something um, in Brighton, I think it was, somebody who had been fined because they had actually rented out the cupboard under the stairs. Proper Harry Potter-style living, somebody living on a bed in a metre cupboard. There are young professional peoples who live like that, but would we notice it? Would we know, notice somebody who's at risk of eviction because their home is on the market to be sold? They can't afford the rent. Would we notice the person who is enduring psychological or physical abuse from a partner or a parent or a child? Would we notice them? Would I notice them? Would you notice them? There might be somebody here today whose home situation is that precarious, that much at risk. There's almost undoubtedly somebody who feels a bit lonely or isolated. Maybe somebody feels unloved. Maybe somebody who lacks a sense of home. Perhaps that song we sang earlier was just quite painful because it wasn't somebody's experience. And if that's the case, I really hope that they will be able to name that and to share it with at least somebody so that they can be supported and helped and encouraged. But for most of us, there is some sense of security about the place we call home. It's safe enough, it's well enough equipped, and amidst the rough and tumble of life, love can be shared. Even those of us who live on our own can experience love within our homes. The challenge for us as followers of Jesus as people called to notice the widow in the crowd, is to look beyond the stereotypes, beyond the outward appearances, in the face of a huge, complex and enduring challenge that we know as homelessness. It can seem overwhelming. It can seem as if there is nothing we can do. And in just a moment or two, I'm going to hand over to Walter and Grace, who are going to share with us something of two Christian responses to homelessness. But first, very briefly, and with his blessing, I want to share with you part of the story of one of my nephews, who, when I asked him for his permission, also offered me a poem to share with you. This is Matt and his partner Kate and they share their home with three small boys. Matt is a learning mentor and an outdoor instructor, helping people to find their way into and through education. Around a decade ago, following the breakup of his parents' marriage, Matt went through a very tough time and became homeless. Via a local church, he was introduced to the charity Emmaus, which helped him to get back on his feet. Ten years on, he is very grateful to them, and he offered me this poem. Being Homeless by Matt Gorton. Homeless is a word that means you have no home. Now homeless is a seed in you that has been sown. It needs no soil or water for homelessness to grow, Just pity and disrespect cause homeless leaves to show. I'm not trying to glorify living life out on the street, 
But I speak on behalf of many people who you will never meet. People who don't ask for a penny all the time. We choose pride over punctuality. For being late is not a crime. There's some clever people on the street. The cleverest I've ever seen. Reading Wordsworth through to Shakespeare and all the writers in between. The homeless reading Wordsworth. Now I've heard it all. But it was daffodils that kept me warm as I slept in a market stall. So feel free to point and stare as you drive off in flash cars. But remember, your house has walls and limits, while my ceiling is the stars. There are countless other men and women like Matt whose stories we will never hear, but to whom, if only indirectly, we can reach out in Christian love. So I'm going to hand over to Walter and to Grace to talk briefly about some of those. Katrina's reference to her nephew gives a special resonance to my little tale of Emmaus. Emmaus Glasgow is part of Emmaus UK. It's a homeless charity started in France in 1949. First community was founded in France. It took 40 years to get it across the channel to England and another 15 more before we finally opened Emmaus Glasgow our Glasgow community. Often the view people have of the homeless is of of someone sleeping in a shop doorway or in park benches. This is true, but as has been referred to by Katrina, um, many more are staying with friends or sofa surfing, as it's called. (coughs) Uh, This is not visible as visible as sleeping on the pavement, but can be just as devastating to those who go through it. A wide range of reasons can lead to homelessness. Again, we've been referring to that. Anything from a breakdown of relationship, losing your home, your job, or inevitably, perhaps, in many cases, problems with drugs, alcohol, or, again, as has been pointed out, mental health. Ending that homelessness can be much more than just a a roof over your head. And it is that area that Emmaus challenges. A lot of support that is available is only able to provide a bed for the night and a hot meal. The next morning, back to the streets. This can't give the individual the opportunity to find a way to get back into normal society. This is where Emmaus comes in. We don't just offer a bed for the night. We offer a home for as long as you need it, as well as meaningful work. This is through, often through social enterprise schemes and very often through our shops collecting, restoring and recycling furniture for those who can't afford to purchase 
new. There is one overriding rule. The community can't accept anyone who is still on drugs or alcohol or is alcohol dependent. Staying together as part of a community and making a contribution to it helps to restore self-esteem and gives companions, that's what they're called, a route back to ordinary everyday life. And why Emmaus? Emmaus was the name of the, the rectory that Abbe Pierre, Pierre, Abbe Pierre, the original founder in Paris of Emmaus, that was what it was called, Emmaus. And that echo of the disciples' Easter journey is there, a glimmer of hope for those in distress. The idea behind a rent deposit scheme is very simple. It enables people who are homeless or at risk of being homeless to move into safe, secure accommodation in the private rented sector. Now, local authorities do have a statutory duty to provide accommodation for people who are homeless, but often there just isn't enough accommodation. So access to the private sector can be the solution. A major obstacle facing homeless people is their inability to meet landlords' requirements for cash deposits or rent in advance. A rent deposit scheme acts as an independent third party by providing landlords with a bond guarantee on the tenant's behalf in the event of any damage to their house. A rent deposit scheme can also provide rent in advance while the tenant's housing benefit application is being processed, or at least expedite those claims. The Glasgow Rent Deposit Scheme began life in the late 90s as the West End Church's Key Fund, WEC, which grew out of the vision and collaborative working of the churches here in the West End, and in particular through the drive and determination of two women, Noni Fisher from Wellington and Helen Hughes from Lansdowne, who were deeply concerned over the number of homeless young men in particular in the West End of Glasgow, and decided they just had to do something about it. Single men aren't seen by the local authority as being in priority need, so most of the time they go to the bottom of the list for housing. And I have to mention another particular link with our church um, in that Elaine, our own Elaine Downey, was the first employee of the Key Fund back then. A few years later, though, when new funding sources, in particular the Rough Sleepers Initiative, opened up, the scheme was extended to the whole of Glasgow, and that's when the Glasgow Rent Deposit Scheme was formed. At the start, the people served by the scheme continued to be almost exclusively single men, but their routes into homelessness were varied, as we've heard from Katrina and from Walter, so many different reasons why people end up homeless. If as a single man you approach the council, Maybe all that's available is a hostel or bed and breakfast accommodation with no cooking facilities. And in these situations, the rent deposit scheme was able to provide access to safe and secure housing in the private sector. Over time, the scheme was able to extend its service to help other people, couples and families. So imagine a single mum with, with young children would be offered a house by the local authority but it might be in an area well away from the support of family and friends uh, because that's all that was available. The rent deposit scheme could provide housing in an area that was close to their support network and be much more appropriate. 
There are now many rent deposit schemes all over the UK. And a few years ago in Glasgow, the work of the Glasgow Rent Deposit Scheme was absorbed into a much larger charity, which also has Christian roots and much greater resources to support and take forward this invaluable work. And so we are going to sing again together. A home is where the heart is. You have often heard it said. Thanks, Paul. last week, a group of Jean Delmore's friends gathered at the cemetery for a brief service to dedicate a new headstone for their parents and Betty and Jean. When Jean died early last year, she left the residue of her family estate to our church building fund, a generous gesture 
to which I shall refer in the first part of our prayers. The second part will consist of Michael Walker's prayer for those who have fallen through the net, which he prefaces with words from Mark's Gospel and reflection on so-called bad characters. Finally, we shall remember that we are here to prepare ourselves for communion. So let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for all those who, having served you faithfully during their life, have remembered in their will the financial needs of this church in seeking to replace our 19th century building with one to meet 21st century needs. We remember them with gratitude now and commend them to your eternal loving care. St Mark writes, When Jesus was at table, many bad characters, tax gatherers and others, were seated with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Who are our bad characters? Perhaps our problem is not so much the bad as the foolish, the weak, the accident-prone, the deeply unhappy, the, un- the inadequate. Our offhand language conceals their plight. Junkies, winos, weirdos. We hide ourselves because their intractable problems are an offence to our well-ordered rational world. Lord Jesus Christ, may we not turn our face from the plight of those who have fallen through all the safety nets of home, school and society. The drug addict with bruised arms and sunken face and wild dreams. The winos, a fragile fellowship passing a bottle from mouth to mouth. The homeless drifter asleep in a hostel bed or huddled under a cardboard box in a sheltered doorway. Like the tax gatherers and others, they do not fit easily into society, yet they do fit into your compassion. So we pray for drug addicts, their families, those who work in rehabilitation. We pray for alcoholics and their families, remembering not only those who have taken to the streets, but those whose illness is concealed behind the walls of their home and hidden from their colleagues at work. We pray for the homeless who have no roots, who have lost themselves in the anonymity of the city. We pray for those who work amongst people in desperate need, small action groups in local churches, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, the Salvation Army, state-run hostels, and all other agencies of compassion, like Glasgow City Mission. Lord, make yourself known to them all. We ask that your presence may be very real to us as we gather for communion, 
We thank you for each member of this congregation and for your way of enriching our lives through our fellowship with them. So may our sharing of the bread and wine deepen our fellowship with each other through this celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In his name we ask this. Amen.
in the closed-down market, in the all-night cafe, outside the Siemens mission, Jesus is to be found. <coughs> in the bedroom at Elpis or at Shenu, around a table at Glasgow City Mission, supported by Emmaus and by rent deposit schemes, Jesus is to be found. On the streets of London and Paris and Glasgow and any town, anywhere, Jesus is to be found. And here, around his table, in this place, he welcomes everyone to experience something of home in the breaking of bread, the drinking of wine, the communion of saints and of sinners in the house of God. The Apostle Paul reminds us how in a borrowed room, among saints and sinners, Jesus began the tradition in which we now partake. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us give thanks together. Thank you, loving God that you welcome us just as we are in the home that is your love. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that having seen us as we are, you have drawn us into that love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you continue to work in our hearts and minds so that we might grow in love. As we share this bread and this wine, ordinary things made special by all that they represent, we offer now our thanks and praise. Amen. We spoke earlier of home as being a place where people share food together. And so there is a sense of home. As we share this bread, broken, from the one life and remember all that Jesus did to draw us into the home of God's unending love. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and shared it with his friends. And he said, this seals the new covenant 
new relationship between us, us humans, <coughs> and God. So, as is our custom here, we will retain our cups as we receive them. That we can drink together, symbolising that oneness we have in the family of God, the eternal home of God's love. body of Christ in this place. We are brothers and sisters of many nationalities, races, languages and experience. But in Christ we are one. So let's drink together. Living, you shared our vulnerability experiencing homelessness and rejection. Dying, you shared our loneliness, experiencing separation and isolation. Rising, you share with us your promise of life in all its fullness, now and forever. Praise to you, Jesus Christ.
just before the final blessing, can I remind you to sign up for house groups? And also, a couple of weeks back, we gave some Farsi language Bibles to our Iranian friends. Uh, I have a Farsi language Bible storybook for the children. Um, I hope you will receive that with our love. (coughs) So we pray. Here we have felt the welcome of home. Here we have fed our hearts and minds. Here we have reflected, (coughs) prayed and shared. May we carry these blessings with us into the days ahead. Thank you.